don't forget to like and subscribe. You can also listen to this on Apple Podcasts and Spotify. And we have a PayPal account for any donations that you'd like to give. Your generosity is greatly appreciated. Welcome, everybody, to the Gate Expectations Podcast. I bring in a weekly guest to talk all things Yu-Gi-Oh! and get to know a little more about each person I talk to. It's the only Yu-Gi-Oh! podcast that is run by a full-fledged journalist such as myself. This is episode 30. If you haven't checked it out yet, you can check out earlier podcasts with guests like Steven Trifonoski, Jesse Cotton, Team Samurai X1, Farfa, Crush Cards, Simo, and many more. My guest for this week is the last member of Team Fala Galera 4.0 that won the most recent LCS 3v3 tournament. He is also a two-time YCS champion and a UDS champion all in the span of a month. It's Paulo Gonçalves. Paulo, thank you so much for coming on to my podcast. Thank you. Fala, galera. <laughs> <laughs> I, yeah, thank, I hope I said that. Yeah, I, I hope I said that right because like, I, I don't know any Portuguese whatsoever. And, and Christian and Gabriel told me last week about what fala galera meant. Yeah, it's just like what's up, something like that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah you, you did well. You did well. <laughs> I mean, like I know I know two other languages as well. So I mean, it's not like like I'm bad at other languages. It's just I've never spoken Portuguese. It's not something that uh, really gets taught in Canada. So that's it. so everything is completely foreign to me. Like no joke intended. Yeah, it makes sense. Makes sense. <laughs> so, so again, thank you for coming on, Paulo. Like, of course, you couldn't make it last week to join the the rest of your team, but uh, you're able to come with me this week, and you won the uh, the LCS three v three tournament. And how did that feel winning that championship? Yeah, it was really cool because we went X2 really early. I think by round five, Ooh. we were X2. So that means we needed to win every single round <laughs> until the yeah. end. All the yeah. speed and all the top cuts. Yeah, so it was uh, really tense <laughs> because <laughs> there was no more room for our mistakes, right? Yeah, so there was a lot of pressure on you really early just because you, you, you had those uh, kind of like not the greatest rounds to start off with. Uh, what rounds did you lose in that tournament? Me per- personally or the team? Oh, the team, sorry. The team, we lost round four and five. Uh, did you win those your rounds in, the, in those rounds or no? I, in round five, I won my match, but they lost. Okay, okay. Yeah. And what about round four? I, 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 I won. You won your okay, so you won both of them. So uh, unfortunately, no, no, sorry, 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 sorry. I lost one of them. I lost. I oh, you me. lost. Okay, got one it. One of them I lost, and one and the other one I won, but the team lost. Yeah, that's fair. Because sometimes in the middle of a match, and then the other two, your other two teammates lose, and then that, and then it's over from there because you can't win from there. Which I've had, which have happened to me before many times. Yeah, but in in three v threes, we usually don't try to to be too attached on like personal records. Because yeah. sometimes you you are the one who is carrying, and the other times you are the one who is being carried. So yeah. if you have like this mentality of okay, I won and my team lost, uh, <laughs> and get like and not super happy about it, it's mm-hmm. really weird way to approach this type of tournament. Yeah, if you think like that, do you think that um, it might cause problems with the team because you know one person gets maybe maybe like a little bit like arrogant or cocky because they're the one winning, but the other two aren't winning? Does, does that seem to happen? For sure. Like we no. are really it would have, we, this is the thing that might cause problems. For example, I, I've been playing 
I played all Konami, no, not all, but I played some of the Konami 3v3, right, at the Atlanta, which we won, mm-hmm. uh, West Atlanta, and then we, I played with another team, two other different players, because in Atlanta I played with Michelle and Hector. Uh, yeah. And then in in Lima, I played with Rafael Nevin and mm-hmm. Camilo Garcia. So we were mm-hmm. different teams, right? And mm-hmm. I, and then I played two more LCSs in 3v3. So I kind of have some experience in in, in that type of event. And what I learned with only those four events is that you have to be like, okay, we lost, let's try to move on uh, because you have to come back from those bad situations. Yeah, and that, that's something I want to t- touch on later on because you, you won the first uh, YCS 3v3 event. But just let's f- focusing on the LCS okay. j- just for a little bit there. Uh, we'll, we'll start here and then we'll, then we'll work our way forward. And, you know, I asked this the same question last week to Gabriel and Christian. So, of course, I got to ask, you know, so how did the team come about in, in your eyes? What do you mean by that? Uh, oh, sorry. Like, I had... Um, um, why did you reach out to Gabriel and Christian for uh, for Team uh, Galafalera for 4.0? So we, we, I was going to play with Christian anyway. The other LCS 3v3, I also play with Christian. I, Christian's like my main testing partner partner mm-hmm. for like three, two, three years maybe. So mm-hmm. we, uh, every time we can play together, we'll pro- we probably will. And then Nets Gabriel was doing really well. I think he's the best performing LCS player since uh, start to be became a thing, right? Uh, mm-hmm. He he won free now. So and he's Brazilian, so that also helps for the communication part, which mm-hmm. is important for and also really a good player. So mm-hmm. it was really easy to choose him. <laughs> <laughs> So, like, when you were playing with uh, Gabriel, like, were you guys speaking like, p- Portuguese to each other th- back and forth uh, when during that tournament? Yeah, I mean, many times we were all three together, so we do we spoke in English. But when yeah. it was only me and Gabe, mm-hmm. we did in Portuguese. It's easier. Yeah, and does that make it easier for communication? Just uh, just because that you're speaking uh, Portuguese, which is a language that isn't really spoken a lot in the, in the LCS, if at all, aside from you two, or is it or that like or your opponents really can't hear what you're saying to to Gabriel just because it's an online three v three, so it's a it's a little bit different. So it's different the way these tournaments go in, in real life and LCSs. In LCSs, you join a room with only your play your team players. And you talk okay. to them whatever, whatever you want, right? But in in real life, in real life YCSs, mm-hmm. uh, at least the first one that we played, uh, our team were two Brazilian players, me and Michelle, and one Chilean play, player. Yep. And we couldn't speak besides English, which was a really weird rule. Oh, really? Yeah, because the rule for the event for that first event was that. Everything talked among uh, teammates was put yeah. knowledge, so oh, okay. it should be in a language that the other team could understand. Mm-hmm. So that was really problematic for us because I do speak English and Michelle kind of does. Like he he understands English well, but yeah. Hector didn't. So I, we couldn't talk to Hector at all oh, in the no. tournament. Like we, we could have talked like in okay attack with this and set this card like. This is universal, uh, yeah. so you could understand that, but more in depth. 
conversations. It was <laughs> impossible to do. So, yeah. So, so it, was a, it was a lot easier to communicate with your teammates, at least doing the doing the online LCS event. Yeah, much easier. Much All easier. right. All right. So, so you were playing the exact same deck list that uh, that uh, Christian was playing. You both played uh, Zoo Elvich, and I knew that there was a lot of discussion in between you and him uh, about the deck list like for, like first of all like i think the first question that came out of everybody's mouth when they saw your deck list is like why are you why were you running like vet anaconda when you had no target for it and even though i touched up on this last week uh, what, what was your reason for doing that so that was christian's idea he has to get the credit for that we, we yeah. work on the deck together like the whole build i came with the idea of playing Zweldlish. And he was really yeah. hesitant at the first, but then I showed it was a good idea. But the, mm -hmm. the idea of the Nakonda specifically was his, because we a common scenario that we came across was, especially against Dryton, is that one of the main ways for Dryton to grind against us is by doing Zeus at some mm -hmm. point. And when they make the Zeus, it's usually a four material Zeus. And mm -hmm. in the Dryton perspective, there is no reason for them to use Zeus effects to send your monsters to their grave, especially Lord, because he stands yep. Lord, I can bring Lord back and try to attack, so I force a Zeus effect. So mm -hmm. what happens is that they make, uh, what's the name, Zeus on the extra monster zone, and we have like, we have two monsters on the board, for example, a Lord and a Conquistador or a Wakero. Mm -hmm. And then, we come across the situation a lot, and then we thought, okay, it would be really cool if we had a link to monsters, something that we, we can use with this Lord and this Conquistador to make something that forces the Zeus effect. So we, what we did was to read every single link to in the game. We went to the beer and read every single yeah. link to. And then Christian realized, why uh, we should play Anaconda, because if we summon Anaconda, there is no way that the opponent knows that mm -hmm. we play or don't play. Uh, Dragoon, it's super risky to call the bluff, so it's almost impossible. Yeah. I think if I were the player with the Zeus and my opponent summons an Anaconda, I would use the effect. <laughs> so, uh, it's almost impossible to not use, so that was a really good idea. Unfortunately, it didn't happen in the tournament, and I think it was because me, uh, myself, I only play against one Dryton, and I think he only also played against one Dryton. Uh, which was really weird because there was a lot of Drytons in the tournament. Mm -hmm. I think that was the main reason that didn't help, that didn't happen. Uh, so yeah, that was the reason to... F There's more other niche reasons like he can force a Conquistador or a Dryden or a Shushi, uh, but the main main reason was this zoo scenario that happened a lot against Dryton. Mm -hmm. Really, really common. I believe Christian told me last week that that it happened a lot during testing that you would you'd have to make you could make the anaconda but it said that it didn't happen during the tournament so did you get that a lot during testing where you, you use the anaconda to bait out the zeus yes because we test together so when he said yeah. it happened in testing because it happened to both of us at the same time because we have we happen to to test together a lot and yes it doesn't happen a lot uh, almost once a match against Triton, it was really common. <laughs> so that yeah. was it was worth it to cut a, a good card with a second Borable uh, for mm -hmm. the Anaconda because it was game changing in the matches where it happened. Yeah, it, it's funny because Christian said that he he wished he got to play a second Borbo in his yeah. deck list. 
Yeah. But I guess it was in retrospective, right? Like the way the tournament went, that we only play, play against one right, and then in those matches, it didn't happen. But let's yeah. say we play against, because Gabe played, I guess, like, I think four or five Drytons. Imagine if it were, I was a player C, for example. Yeah. I would be the one playing this many Drytons. So I think it would be really possible that, I, that this situation would come up. Uh, okay, got it. And uh, and if you were to play this deck again in uh, future tournaments, would you still keep in the the Vert Anaconda or or no? Probably not. Probably just because everybody knows now that that was that was your strategy all along. Yeah, and I mean the fact that it would be me playing the same deck with the same card and make people more likely to think it's a bluff. The, the nice idea would be, in fact, play Dragoon this time. But <laughs> imagine you make the Nakone to go, oh, no, it's a, no, it's a bluff, and then you use the effect and you have the Dragoon. <laughs> uh, but I don't know if it's worth it. <laughs> I mean, I, I can try, but it's weird. It's weird. I don't think so. <laughs> Do you think that uh, you know people who like look at your build? Do you think that the this might be like a new trend that might happen later on because you did it with you put Anaconda with nothing in it, and then people might start doing that as well? Yeah, this can happen in other decks too. I mean, maybe this month is too soon. Uh, so, but I don't know. In two months, three months, people forget about this, and then you some random deck summons Anaconda, and then okay, I have to kill this. <laughs> This is a thing that can <laughs> come from time to time. I don't think it's crazy. Yeah, and, and, and who knows what's going to happen because like this, this was this is the first time I've ever seen anybody put an anaconda and not have like a viable target for it. So this really like opens up a lot of like there's a lot of questions about this now if people are going to go forward with this or not. And and even then people still might question. Like, if I see an anaconda, I still think that they're going to use their effects. It doesn't matter like what you did. I still think it. So I'm going to eat your bait, in other words. I'm going to fall for your trap. Yeah, it's really... Because it, it, it functions really well because it's, Dragoon is so oppressive <laughs> that you can't risk it, right? Unless you're really, yeah. really sure. It's super hard to risk it. Yeah, unless you know you can, like, deal with it immediately or you have something even better for it. Like, it's it's something I, I wouldn't want to risk anyway because Dragoon is so powerful and it completely end, ends games especially when you get a battle phase with it as well yeah yeah so oh, <laughs> it's it's weird i don't know how popular this is going to be like yeah see. yeah yeah i mean we'll see soon enough i i know another question that that was raised uh, that was discussed between you guys is that you ran only two golden lord and there was talk about like three one, like one two or three golden lords so uh what made you decide on going with two golden lords yeah that was the last question that we had to answer in the deck question was yeah. more leaning on one lord and i was on two uh mm -hmm. i'm still not sure to be honest uh it's super close like at the end it's, it's between one and two it's not three never three because lord is awful to draw uh it's good going second but it's the worst card in the deck we first uh, to open with. So I really wanted to play one. Uh, in the last, I played three LCSs before this one. This is my fourth LCS. Um, and and I play Elvish decks, different Elvish decks, but Elvish decks in all of them. And I played one Lord in all of them. So I'm really uh, in favor of playing one Lord. But I think in this matter, uh, 
there are more tools to banish Lord than before. Crow is more popular than in the previous meta games where the last LCSs before this one. Also, mm -hmm. some people randomly, I don't agree with this, but people just do it. Some some people cite Psycho Reader, which is a card for Drytum, and they cite against yeah. Elvish because it can banish Lord. So I feel like it's risky. Um, mm -hmm. And also sometimes Ritual World uh, has some tools to banish. I think Jaja is the one. Is one from, I don't remember the names. There's the XYZ six and the XYZ the fan fan, fan, fan and Jaja. I think right. right? Yeah, they both can banish cards from somewhere, and also yeah. Shang Shang, right? That also can banish cards. So they have mm -hmm. like a meta deck has tools. I know it doesn't happen too often, but I think it's often enough for me to get a little bit scary and um. There is also the possibility that you play against some Elvish deck, right? I did play against two mm -hmm. in this tournament. So, and one Lord against El uh, Elvish deck is super hard. Another thing that I think made us use the second Lord, even Christian, which he was the one point wanted to play one more. And there, not a single card that we really wanted to put instead. Okay, we can cut this lot, but what do we, we put instead? We didn't have like a clear answer to that. It's not like we had a 41st card that we really want to play included. Because if we had, maybe we, we play one Lord, but there is nothing for us that, that we want to put instead. So that's why we play two, yeah. Did you side out a, a Golden Lord a lot during that tournament, just, just so you could have one, or did you usually just keep in two? I sided out a lot. Depends on the matchup. A lot. Yeah. Yeah, against Victor yeah. Ward, I don't. Uh, and I play four Ritual World, so I didn't. I think against Eldritch, I also don't. So I kept on that too, for example. But against Dryton, I did. Uh, against I play against a Dryton, against uh, against the full combo decks, like Dryton, Atomus Spader, and Dragon Link. I play one of each, and against them, I set up one Lord every single time, I mean, first and second. But the other, so this was three matches, and all the other seven matches, we, we played 10 matches, all the other seven, I kept the second one. So I think it was for the best in retrospective. Can you explain why you would side out uh, the Golden Lord in certain matchups and not in other matchups? Just just give me a recap of why that why that okay, is. So uh, Adam Spade or Dragon Link and Dryton, we can, I, I usually call them full combo decks there. Uh, whatever they try to do is usually a FTK for you. So we have to top them, so you need as much uh, space in the deck as possible to use the hand trap, which we play a bunch of, uh, to mm -hmm. stop them. So and cards like Lord uh, uh, going first and second, doesn't they are not a starter like a zoo or land or some green, and is not a hand trap mm -hmm. to stop the opponent. Mm -hmm. and usually against those type of decks, you you need as much as many cards of those two categories. Uh, in comparison to other type of cards, like the, I, I got all the Black Awakening, I set out the Second Lord, things like that, that are more mm -hmm. uh, for grindish deck uh, matches. And mm -hmm. these uh, matches, you, you have more urgency to to have a response. The, th those games are usually two turns, three turns long. So mm -hmm. it's less likely and also, it's super unlikely that you, your one Lord is banished because those decks doesn't have a clear tool to banish and they don't 
they can't cite Sacroridus against you because they usually have to cite Sparrow Trap removal or other type of card uh, in comparison to Sacroridus. So it's really hard for the one lord to be banished. Did your Golden Lords ever get banished at all during the tournament? Not, not at the same time. I, every time I had two, one was randomly banished, but every time I had one, it wasn't ever banished. Okay, so you so you never had a problem at all with, with the number of Golden Lords that you played in the deck throughout the entire yeah, not, tournament? not at this event. No, okay. Uh, I know another question that was uh, raised about your deck list, I think it was a discussion between you and Christian, was that uh, you decided to go with a mistaken arrest in, in your side deck as well, which I think was a, a brilliant call, especially against Drytrons, but uh, uh, why would you decide to side mistaken arrest? So, uh, usually the type of card that we, we, we want to the first thing, we wanted to have something really good going first. Uh, and that something had to be uh, something that wasn't weak to the expected cards that our opponents would side against us, which are usually the spell trap removal. Uh, our options were uh, Barter, which we played, the Mistaken Arrest, and the other card that we didn't play was the Anti-Spell. Anti-Spell is good against the spell trap removal that they would might side against yep. us. Um, we went for Mistaken Arrest in the end because, uh, in our opinion, the going first against Dryton post side is more difficult than going first post side against virtual mm -hmm. world. So the comparison was between mistaken arrest and spell. If we want, if we wanted to have a better card against virtual world, it would be anti-spell instead. But in K, but since we believed that okay, we want some something else that's really good against right, it's really good against right. Uh, mm -hmm. We put the we then we we use the mistake arrest that it was more or less that uh, reasoning. Mm -hmm. So when I saw that it was taken arrest in the side deck, what I originally thought was it was for Drytrons first of all, but because you know that Drytrons will side in like Harpy's Feather Duster and Lightning Storm, even if they get it off, you can still chain mistaken arrest, and they're probably going to be locked in for the turn, and then you still buy yourself another turn anyway, and then you can like reset all your resources again with all the trap cards that they destroyed, and you can still keep going against them. You have another turn against them if you just play mistaken yeah, arrest. That's exactly reason. That's why we didn't play like cards. A mistake is better than mistake arrest, for example. They do the same thing. Mistake is forever. Mistake yeah. arrest is just one turn. But mistake arrest can be destroyed by those cards that you mentioned. So yeah. it would be better to play mistake. And if you flip mistake and they have no outs, of course, much better. But uh, we thought that the, the one turn that mistake arrest give you and being really strong against parent trap removal is more important than have a, a stronger card than mistake, uh, the actual mistake. And yeah, that, that, that is pretty much the reason. Yeah, because if you play the mistaken rest, then you pretty much get to go back to uh, the same state you were before, like before you set all your cards, and because they're not going to be able to kill you that turn. And at least if they have anti-spell fragments up, you, they can at least try to take it out with, you know, that they're going to have Nightmare Phoenix or uh, Nightmare Unicorn if they if they get to it. So they have other ways of getting rid of that card, and you know that they're not going to play uh, Herald of Greenlight because they always play Purple Light, so they can't really they can't really stop yeah, it either. They can't. It's, um, it's pretty much impossible. Yeah.
Yeah. So that that's what I thought you you had mistaken arrest for, and I know that there was like a big dis- discussion between you and Christian about that putting anti spell in. Uh, how did you persuade him to play with mistaken arrest or over anti spell? I, I, I don't think I don't think I need to persuade him. I, I think we came to the same conclusion in the end. Uh, oh, okay. Because we test a lot against those two decks. Our idea in this in this tournament by playing the Zul Elbish, which was really under the radar. Uh, was to counter those two decks specifically. And then we figured out against everything else. That was the idea. Uh, And then, Mm -hmm. again, we came to the conclusion that we needed to cover more the going first against Triton because it was more difficult. Because I say more difficult because our uh, regular interactions with opponents like Trident, Conquistador, cards like that, they are much better against Mm -hmm. the world than they are against uh, Triton. So in order to compensate that lack of power that those cards has in that uh, situation, Mistaken Arrest was the chosen one. Mm-hmm. So uh, now that we're moving on, for uh, well, almost we'll, one more question about this. So, so, so how did it feel to actually like, win that event, I, I should say, before we, before we move on? Because I didn't even ask you about that. Yeah, it was really cool because we had, I I specifically had so many points that I thought I would lose <laughs> in the in this. <laughs> and there was this, in the top four, I even posted my channel, the, 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 like I made match commentaries of all my matches for the LCS, half in Portuguese and half in mm-hmm. English. And, and I just posted the top four, so I rewatched today. And top four, the way that I won game three was insane. And this game three, was, we were on a call together because it was the last match, right? And mm-hmm. when the game started, we had only one hand trap, which was Crow, and the opponent started with instant fusion, so negate the Crow because of the... I don't remember the name of the card, but the one who negates hand traps. Mm-hmm. Uh, the future. Oh, a thousand. Uh, yes, I'm really bad with card yeah. names. <laughs> I know the facts. I know <laughs> what they do, but I'm with names. Yeah, yeah. So they have this instant fusion to to the crow. So crow was pointless, and then and then the opponent had Z, Zeta and Benthane. So <laughs> and then it's okay, you lost, right? But somehow yeah. something happened. I can't explain. And then I, I think he messed up on the combo at some point and only end on. Ultimatinus with only Eva as a negation, but Eva would get more cards, right? Uh, he wouldn't use Ultimatinus yeah. card, even the Eva would get two more cards. But the fact that we had Crow and hold the Crow um, made us use an effect, and he uses uh, the Ultimatinus, then we Crow chain banished the Eva so we couldn't trigger, so we could play. And it was funny because as soon as we, we I, I drew the hand and we would to get together playing, we were like, okay, this is it. We got top four. This is really cool. We went really far. <laughs> and then something happened. And then we go, okay, maybe we have a chance. All we need to do is to draw a zoo on the top deck. A zoo monster. And then yeah. we drew the barrage. Uh, it was ah, the best one. It was so the best good. one. But any zoo would do. Yeah. So, yeah, it was cool. It was cool. Did you have an elbow up just out of, out of curiosity? That was the card that uh, I use. I use, oh. I use land, and then mm-hmm. I got Lord, and I use Lord, and he used Ultimateness. I chain crow, banish the Eva, yeah. 
and then now he has zero mm -hmm. cards in hand, no negations left, and then I use barrage and go for Zooks. <laughs> mm -hmm. Oh, yeah, yeah. See, I love, like, when I play Dry Trons, I love to discard Eva as fast as I can so I can get two more. So Because I don't want to discard Eva and then have no fairies in my hand and then someone, like, negate my Eva and then I can't negate that to get more two more. So I, I think that's a lot. It's a rookie mistake that I think a lot of Dry Tron players make is that they're always holding their Eva until, like, the last card instead of being at maybe, like, the second last card so they can get more uh, more negation. Yeah, but they use as the first one because it was the only one. I think that's what was the issue. Somehow, I didn't pay too much yeah. attention to what he was doing. Like... In the replay, yeah, but I, I'm fairly certain that he could have done better than only ultimating with only Eva. Uh, yeah, because typically when I when I have like Drytrons and I've got like per ultimate is up, I've got probably at least like one or two negates and then Eva on top of that. So like I have like three negates and then Eva will get me two more. So that's what I try to have when I have ultimate yeah, so on the field. Didn't work for him and yeah he got super yeah. punished by the girl. Yeah. So, so so again like when I heard you won the you won the three v three. It made me really happy. I'm like, oh, good, because like I, I I have to get you on now because we talked for a lot of for for some time about getting you on eventually, and then finally it was like, okay, this is I gotta have you on now. And another reason why I want to wait for a little bit because you uh, just recently became a coach for uh, for Duelist Academy back in November, and I thought let's wait a little bit, let's see you like get some time in with Duelist Academy, and then we'll come back. And then now that we've finally done it, uh, how's your experience been with Dueling Academy so far as yeah, uh, as I'm a really coach? Liking. I before the academy, I, I I did the coach session by myself uh, uh, for the Brazilian community, uh, for Brazilian players mm -hmm. in Portuguese. But even when the academy started, and they talked with me to to be a coach with them, but I wasn't too. Uh, I, th I was. I think I wasn't too prepared, uh, not by giving the yeah. coaches, but because of my English, I was not super. What the word? Like comfortable, yes, comfortable or... yeah i'm still yeah. not super comfortable <laughs> i'm forgetting words you know but uh yeah. but now i can I, I can put my point across right people can understand what i what i'm trying to say and i started doing content in english to my channel and then this idea for me to be mm -hmm. a coach again uh they come up mm -hmm. and then this time i i accept it and it's been really good really good i have a lot of students there so that's really cool. And I think all of them like having the sessions with me, which is uh, really nice. Now, now, I asked this to Gabriel told me this last week, and I'll, I'll ask you, do you find yourself speaking more English now than, than Portuguese uh, as of late? I do speak a lot of English because of my students in the English Academy, and half of my videos are in English now because I was trying, I was forcing myself yeah. into this transition, right? Um, I, I've been doing content in Portuguese for my channel for, I don't know, almost 10 years now. And as soon as I started traveling, because I played for a long time, but and I always did well in, in Brazil and South America. But then in 2017, I started traveling, really traveling. Mm -hmm. uh, I played for a long time, but I, I only start like playing, playing, like multiple YCSs per year in 2017. And then... Mm -hmm. Uh, I start to be more known by the worldwide community, I think. And I started to, to test my English way more often because I went to US, I went to, to other places where I needed to, to, 
to speak in English. So I was getting more and more comfortable. Mm -hmm. And then I started to do this transition to, to English content. And then we are doing this now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, that, now that you've got your YouTube channel up, it's, it's a lot of videos about uh, commentary, both in, uh, both in English and Portuguese. Uh, is, is there anything else that you do on your YouTube aside from commentary? Yeah, I have two, two, two different type of, three different type of videos that people really like, but those are in mm -hmm. Portuguese. One that I tell stories about my Yu-Gi-Oh career since the beginning. So I went, I came back I, every week. I, I made a video about, is it, and they are like one hour long, about my my mm -hmm. tournaments for 15 years ago. And I, it is cool because I had to make research and do research and try to find some deck list for me for 15 years ago. <laughs> and it's really cool, it's really cool. And I have a lot of memories from yeah. back then when I was like 15, 16. And mm -hmm. uh, people really enjoy the, 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 the stories. And the other, the other type of it that I do, uh, many people don't know exactly how coach sessions work. So to, especially in Brazil, I don't know how the worldwide community are about this coaching thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! But yeah. I, 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 I realized that in, in, in Brazil, many people didn't understand exactly how that meant, the, how that went. So what I did, I, I got another YouTube, that uh, The Shadow, and I do the coach sessions with him and I upload them on my channel. Mm -hmm. So people know how mm -hmm. that works. So this is a good thing for people to know how that works and it, it does advertise what I do. And then after that, people started mm -hmm. doing more because they now actually know how the functions. Mm -hmm. So uh, how did you get the idea of doing commentary on your own matches for, for your YouTube so, channel? So I feel, I feel like not many people does that, right? And I think, I don't know why. Mm -hmm. uh, I, I think this, I think it's really, I think it's a shame that m many good games are lost. Uh, because there is no, not many, I, I know there is, but not many coverage from this type of events. And mm -hmm. I usually, I, I always, I always uh, watch, re-watch my, my matches even more than two times. And then, I, since mm -hmm. I always do this, I realize, okay, I, I should do this to my channel and do the commentary on my replays. Uh, because I often did the replays uh, comment commentaries from replays from other people, like the Big Grinder does, for example. I usually do that as well. Mm -hmm. But I started doing that on my own when I have LCSs, of course. And people really enjoy it because they know exactly what I was thinking. When I do replays for someone else, you just can imagine what they were thinking. Mm -hmm. But when I commentate my own games, I not only point out my my when I did well, but I also play, uh, point out when I made a mistake um, and what I learned from that and why that happened. So I go really in depth on the explanation. That's why the videos are so long because I talk, to, I talk a lot because I'm really a devotee of technical yeah. play. I think it's super underrated thing in Yu-Gi-Oh! People talk about deck building a lot and I don't agree with that too much. I think technical play is extremely underrated and important. Even now, um, mm -hmm. 
But yeah, that's why I I go so in depth in the the comments that I do for my rowing plays, even from each other uh, other people replace. Yeah, it's like uh, it's like in sports. Like for example, if a, we we like go to football, like you would look at your own games to see what kind of mis- what things you did well, what things you didn't do well, and then you know you do better for like the the next match that you have. And it's just like Yu Gi Oh as well. You you look over wh- where did you go well, where did you not do well, where did you make a mistake, where was it that you had like to make a decision, a good one or a bad one, and that's that's what this is supposed to be, so you can get better. Because I don't think that a lot of people really look back at their own games and really think like that. They just make maybe like blame like one easy thing and then just go on to the next game instead of just looking at like what you do and then just get better because of it. Because I think that's a great way to get better at this game is like reviewing your own games and seeing like where you went wrong or where you went right. I pretty much play every single game that I play twice at minimum because I play the games and then I rewatch the games. Almost all of them in in Dueling Book. Dueling Book Mm -hmm. really helps on this. And I think it's a wonderful tool for for testing and for learning. I really like learning, uh, read niche interactions, things like that, that can give me an edge. And the only way for you to realize those type of things is really, really careful uh, on how you criticize your own games. And I try my best to not uh, put my, when I lose, for example, put the, the reason that I lost in luck and things out of my control because there are way more things mm-hmm. in your control in the game that people think because, okay, maybe you got unlucky at some point, but why you get unlucky? Maybe you choose the wrong deck, maybe you set out the wrong card, you drew the wrong card at the wrong time, but why? This guy should be, re- should be uh, here or not? Uh, there are so many things mm-hmm. that you can blame on you, and I think people f- uh, believe maybe not on purpose, but they try to put the blame on something else because they don't feel as bad by themselves. And I do the complete opposite. I try my best to find where I did wrong. I I want to be wrong because if I'm wrong when I lost, it means that something could be improved and that could be a win. And that makes me happy because this could be a win. But if I lose and there is nothing I can do, not the deck, not the card, not a play, not a bluff, nothing. Then it's a problem because then actual things that are out of my control and that really dislike this. I want things to be on my control. So that's why I go super, super into... Uh, and I think many of those mistakes are in the technical play part. So... I think that's a, a common mistake people make when when they lose games that they could never win just because of the hands that they drew. Because if you keep drawing like bad hands over and over again, then that means that maybe there's just something wrong with the deck itself, or maybe there's changes that need to be made in the deck so that way that doesn't happen. Because you know, like it's it's normal to maybe lose like a game like once or twice that because like you're just you just couldn't do anything at all. There's nothing you could have done. But then if it but it, it keeps happening again and again, then something has to be wrong aside from just luck yeah. at that point. And. Um... You have to be really careful about blaming luck because luck is sometimes involved for your pri- decisions prior uh, the hands are draw, right? This decision on the deck, on the deck, yeah. on the way you cited, if you cite the wrong card. 
So, and then you got unlucky because of that. But in fact, it was your decision and you give yourself the opportunity to be unlucky. Uh, it is really hard to point out if something like that happened in the game. That's why, because there are too many variables. So it's really hard to see exactly what was the reason that you lost, but you have to try your best to try to make that. Yeah. Yeah, yeah absolutely you do. And uh, one thing I like to do when like, I watch my own games is that I, I will, when I do my moves, I try to repeat out loud to myself and say, okay, this is the move I would do and see if it's the exact same move that I, that I did in the game or if it's not. And then you know, com compare why is it that I said this and, but my, myself, like earlier in the video did this move. Cause I, I think that's a great way to learn. Like if you would play differently or if you've kind of changed a little bit or anything like that, I think it's a great way to like review yourself uh, when you're going over. Yeah, your own tools. Like you compare your, you compare your present yourself with your past self. Yeah. Uh, you know, yes. Because sometimes you get, <laughs> wait, why I did this? Uh, something happened here yes. because I wouldn't do this now, but why I did this before? Am I missing something? This happens a lot. Yeah, and, and, and it happens to me too. And I've looked at like past matches on myself. I'm like, why did I do that move? Or like, I can't believe I, I made that move. Like, I've never done that move in my life. I never practiced it, but I did it now in this game. Why did that? Like, this happens to me a lot. Like, I like to go off script sometimes and like do a move that is completely weird, even though I practice it another move a million times and want to do that. But sometimes I mix it up at randomly out of nowhere. So that. That seems to happen for me. I don't know if it happens to you, but uh, I, I think that that method is a, a good method of seeing if you know how to like learn from what you did or you know, yeah. or at least get yeah. better. For me, the purpose of playing, uh, winning is a consequence of being better. Like I, I try to be better and then if I win, yeah, sure. <laughs> but the, the, the goal is being better than before. Uh, Yes, absolutely. That, that's always my New Year's resolution. Is always I always tell myself, just be better than what you were last year. That's I always tell myself that, and I, I'm trying to keep that resolution right now. So far, is, is get better and better. Yeah, I think that's I'm doing good. better, but I'm, I'm trying. <laughs> so, so again, this isn't your first uh, like three v three championship because you won the very first one uh, in in America that that happened at Atlanta, and uh, you also. Be, had to play Jesse Cotton in the in the finals, and you were the last remaining table that happened. So, so you have a lot of experience in the three v three. So, how did uh, winning this LCS compare to when you won uh, the very first three v three YCS? It was insane. <laughs> it was insane. It was insane. It was the first <laughs> one, and then yeah. it was really really cool event. Three v threes, especially mm -hmm. in real life, are insane. I think Konami will keep doing those because I think they liked. And I think they realized that the players liked. Uh, one really good thing about 3v3 is that there's so uh, there's less variance involved because yeah, we can lose a match over here and there, but it's hard for a really good team to lose two matches at the same round. So the likelihood mm -hmm. of good teams reaching the top cut is pretty much guaranteed. Like in in the top cut yeah. was. Absurd, absurd. One, one of the best, if not the best, top cut ever in a YCS. Almost every everyone that you know that you feel, okay. Imagine this guy topped this event. If he was there, he probably did. 
é, for example, my top cut in this event was completely absurd. <laughs> in top 16, I play against Bodan. Uh, in top 8, I play Christian Arena. In top 4, I play against Hand Deception. In the finals, I play against Cotton. So, <laughs> completely out of control top cut. And yeah, it was really cool, really cool. Uh, I was really happy to to win with two other players that I really like for many years. Michelle is is my friend uh, from many many years, more than ten years in Brazil. We live in the same city, and wow. we always joke with each other uh, who we who we uh, would be the one who win our YCS first, and then we won at the same time. <laughs> <laughs> so, no one did. Uh, actually, already had yeah. a YCS. You won a YCS in Chile before. Uh, we didn't. Uh, we didn't mm -hmm. won a YCS before that. So, and actor, I know actor for many years too. So it was really cool because he also represented South America. And yeah, mm -hmm. that was insane. Many people were following. There was uh, so many people rooting for us. It was crazy. I really enjoyed that. Yeah, because it, it was really cool that uh, just, just when I saw you beat Jesse in that match because he, he was playing his, I believe it was like his Danger Thunder, and that, that deck was crazy for its time. And when you won your, your three events in that one month, you decided to go with the Strikers to, to keep, it, keep it slow and keep it easy, but, uh, hey, but it worked for you. So what was your deck choice behind the – yeah, what was your deck choice, uh, your reason for running Strikers so, for those I, events? I think Sky Striker was one of the best control decks ever made. And and since, like I said, I'm super into technical play, that deck gave me room to put that on the table a lot. Because especially in that format, it was really hard to be completely blown out by the opponent. So almost every single time that you play, you actually played. Many decisions were made. And this is where the technical play shines. And I played a lot of Sky Striker, a lot. And mm. I, with Sky Striker, before those free events, I had two back. I, I don't know if you know, but I, I came second twice in two weeks as well. So in November, Whoa. I got second in YCS Sao Paulo. And then one week later, I got second in UDS Monterey. So I got second in two weeks. <laughs> and then two months later, I won three in a row. So I got like five finals in yeah. three months, which is which was crazy. Yeah, was yeah. and yeah, and I play a lot of sky track. I play sky track in all of those events, and yeah, one of the best decks ever made was really well positioned for the tournament because you play a lot of mirrors, and mirror were super skill intensive, and infinite mirrors. Mm. I, did, I don't think I lost a mirror in those three events. I think I won all of them. I think I lost one mirror in those three events. But I, okay. I won probably like 20 <laughs> mirrors in three events combined. <laughs> I, I mean, that's still good, though, because I mean, because those two second places, they, they happened in 2018. And then once you got into the new year, 2019, that's where you won your, your three events. And you were just absolutely crazy through those three events because like because we i don't think i've ever heard of anybody in history winning like three events in a row i know so i know people have won 
twice, but never three times in a row. So when I like finally heard you win your third one, I'm like, this is this is crazy. Like when I saw you beat Cotton, I looked to it, I was like, oh, it's pa- Paulo. Like, oh my god, that's his third event in a row that he won. Now this is insane. I mean, that's so like you're. Like in a league of your own, being able to win still, three events. I still don't in a believe row. that happened. To be honest, I, I, I still can't believe it. I mean, <laughs> okay, I could have won three events. I think at some point, eventually, <laughs> three in three weeks, I couldn't even understand what just happened when I when I won the third one. I was like in complete shock. Yeah. Uh, so yeah, it was crazy, crazy, completely crazy. And I play against Jesse again in Guatemala in top eight. Yeah, we, we play against yeah. each other as well. Oh, a top sixteen somewhere. Yeah. So, <laughs> so, were you a little bit nervous when you found out that you you had to go against him in, in the three v three? I mean, the we knew. Kind of, I'm super used to playing, so I wasn't nervous. I think. Not really. Mm-hmm. I, I think I, I got more nervous. I used to get more nervous before. But since I started really playing, like I said, in 2017, when it's really playing, mm-hmm. it's traveling a lot. Um, then, since I had so many events, I got more used to play. And and I did well a lot before winning. So, I, I was in top cut, I was in feature matches a lot. So, that made me more uh, familiar with this whole scenario. And the 3v3 was crazy because it was... Uh, a really big, like many cameras, like six cameras. We wasn't at a stage, and everyone was there. It was different than <laughs> the actual regular future match with you, your player, a judge, and the guy with a computer. It wasn't like that. Like a billion cameras yeah. and lights, and you have to stop at some point because they change cameras. <laughs> so, yeah. Yeah, like there's a lot of pressure in those kinds of situations because I haven't been in a, not in a feature match on a stream, but I've done I've been in a feature match before, just like where they just type out your duels. I've done that before, and like, is is the pressure different between the the two kinds uh, of uh, feature matches? And do you think that the the video is a lot, a lot more pressure than I think just they like are the different. one? I, I don't think it affects it affect me in that. But I think it's different. Mm-hmm. I think for a player that's not as experienced okay. on those type of on those type of scenarios, uh, I think that can mm-hmm. make someone do something wrong. For example, at some uh, some situation. Yeah. Yeah, it, it, definitely that. And uh, so, some good advice that uh, Andres Torres told me is that. Like often I have this problem with myself and I'm sure a lot of other people do is that like when they go up against like a bigger name or whatnot, they get nervous because it's like a good player, a really good player. And then they start doing things that like they, they shouldn't be doing or they try to try to trick other other the big players because like they think that's the only way they can win. And Andres told me that, you know what, just don't worry about the name, just play the game like like normal and then you'll have a better chance of winning like that rather than like worrying about the name like would would you agree with andreas when he, when he sure. told me that but it's really hard to do that for many people uh really it really is. difficult and and i feel that that situation happens uh for people uh playing against me many times that people get super nervous <laughs> and 
and probably yeah. happens with Jesse and Anders and Honey, many known players. That also probably happens. And this is an edge for us, right? This is a good thing to happen. It helps us. Um, <laughs> but we, at some point, we all were at the other end of this, right? Before we got known. So yeah. first time I play against super known players, I got a little bit nervous. But and you yeah. have to think it's a game you have to play it's a person in the other side on the other side so you just try your best and try to be calm mm -hmm. and that's what i try to tell a lot of uh, like local people that that play me and they kind of get nervous because they know that i can i can play the game really well and i tell them you know you never know like you can sometimes bad luck can happen or sometimes you, you'll just outplay me and you'll beat me and it's happened before i'm sure that like all of us have lost a match where we thought that we were gonna like win easily, but get beat because that's that just happens. It's like it's a card game. There's some luck involved that that happens, and uh, sometimes you just you get beat. So I, I, I'm sure that we all of us have had that time where like we've we've lost when we thought we win, yeah, and then that happens. This for sure happened. I, I usually don't enter in the match thinking that I will easily win. I respect a lot of other people yeah. in that sense there. I don't go easy on other players. I, I really play my best against every single one. Uh, I never rest yeah. when I'm playing. I always say this to, to my students and to everyone who watches my videos that I when I'm playing, I never rest. When I, I play for me and I play for the opponent. When I say when I play for the opponent, every time he's doing something, I'm playing like I was him. So, and I do this with everyone. And this is super mental consuming like your brain goes because you're playing <laughs> your game their game everyone else's game so it's so many things that you have to process uh but I, for yeah. me it's the best way and i do this i'm saying this because i do this with everyone i don't go okay this is a new player now mm -hmm. i go i don't worry too much nope i don't do this against anyone i'm not taking any risks here oh okay so, so let's pretend that I that you're my coach for for Duelist Academy. Uh, what would you do for me, uh, for me to get okay, better? Uh, first thing we need to, uh, what I usually do, I try to evaluate more or less where. Uh, if it's the first time, right, that we met and this is the first session that we have, uh, I usually try to evaluate where you are in the game. I'm going to ask why you play, why you talked, how many years. Uh, if you're familiar with the current format to have a knowledge in my mind, more or less where you are in the mm -hmm. game. Uh, if you are a player that's mm -hmm. almost topping OACS that, or you're a player that's trying to go, get into the regional level, you just started the game, it really depends because the way you approach a player really, really depends where they are in the game. So this would be the first thing I had to evaluate the person, right? Uh, not in not in a bad way, like evaluate. Yeah. Okay, he's thinking I'm bad. And not not that. Uh, evaluate to see the, the the experience that you have in the game. And then uh, yeah. Okay. Then another thing that I then we are going to talk about your deck, the choices that you're making. And one thing that I I, I like to do it is to uh, I, I usually build decks for events. Uh, and then I ask the person if has intention to play something soon. Okay, it's my locals, LCS, it's a regional Staraganza, you name it. It can be anything. Uh, and then I'm going to ask questions about the expected meta that he thinks, let's say, is a locals. Uh, sometimes when 
NCAA is trying to win locals, they know the, the meta game. They know which players are the best ones, which ones, which decks they have to be careful. Because it's really difficult for me, for example, you're playing Dryton, and then I go like standard. Ah, you should put hand, some hand traps in Dryton. And, uh, Dryton is really popular, so you put draws in your main deck. I don't know, something like that. But then, if you have another guy is playing Dryton, and he wants to, to win locals, and this local is full of outer guys. I don't know, something ridiculous like this. You have to, to, to adapt. <laughs> yeah, that's why I before I give uh, my 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 thoughts on the choices of the deck, uh, I usually ask a lot of questions about the meta game, what they know, what what the best players are in their meta in their meta game, and so on. And then we look at the deck, things like that. And then uh, later, one thing that I really like to do is watching replays together. You have replays of your game playing mm -hmm. Dueling Book or something, and then we watch together. Uh, and then we, then I, we come take together your own plays and go for what and why is that you did something and you should do this here because of this, this, this and explain all the reasons of everything. <laughs> uh, because again, I, I'm mm -hmm. really technical play driven the way that I I, I, I keep saying this because I think deck building is so overrated. Uh, not saying deck building is overrated, but it's really, it's really difficult to have a really good deck. But not everyone is capable of having a good deck. Mm -hmm. So it's much better for you to spend your time trying to be a better player than a better deck builder. Unless you're really high mm -hmm. on the Yu-Gi-Oh ladder. And this doesn't apply to... This, doesn't apply to almost anyone. Like only a few people can focus a lot on deck building because they are the one capable of making really good ground breaking ground breaking decks. Those are the. But if you're like mm -hmm. an average player, a good player, even a good player, it's much better you to spend your time on technical play because it's really easy to have a good deck. Because now you play for a long time. I know this. Imagine. 12 years ago, 15 years ago, it was super hard to have a deck list for someone who tops something because it wasn't, there was no YouTube, no deck profiles, nothing. So now everyone that tops anything poses <laughs> uh, their breakdown statistics, Yu-Gi-Oh! Scope, du Duelist Academy, Dueling Book, so many tools yeah. to have a good deck. It's really hard for you to miss by a lot if you cop a deck for someone. It's really hard. Mm -hmm. One thing that you can't learn by watching a video is how to play. This is the difficult part. That's why I focus on so much. Yeah. <laughs> and I think uh, sometimes I think that I'm talking this. I'm the only one talking about this. <laughs> no one agrees with me. <laughs> yeah. Because every time I see people talk about Yu-Gi-Oh, they go like, ah, I barely test. I build decks off Fury. I don't know, man. I don't know. It's weird. It's weird. It sounds weird to me. And that's why I go super on technical play and having the deck is really meta dependent and uh, it's much better waste your time, which is the precious resource that you have is your time in trying to be better. Mm -hmm. Because this not only will translate now in your results, it will translate in every single format when the deck building has to change, it has to change again, it has to change again. So yeah, that's why I gave you all this speech about technical play. <laughs> well, I, I always said that it's it's so easy nowadays in Yu-Gi-Oh! to play the first turn because anybody can just 
like memorize a combo, learn it, and then play it for every game. But I always say that it's always the second turn or the third turn that's always like was where like the best players like do well. It's because those turns really make all the difference because like again, anyone can do a first turn, but when that gets broken, you have to figure out, okay, what do I do now? Like what are my options now? Because you never know because every board's gonna be different against you when you come to your second turn. So you don't know what to expect really. And like that and then that's where you gotta learn how to adapt. What you just described exactly what my last deck that I play with Trico, Christian tries to mm -hmm. to count to get value from is where it thrives it is in the fact that this type of deck like 15 hand traps super grindy uh makes my opponents play plays in situations that they are not used to do they're not used to grind with eldritch zoo mm -hmm. because the deck doesn't exist and every time you play against eldritch zoo you have to grind there is no other option because the one because i do yeah. zero hand traps and you ftk me or I stop you. And if I stop you, we're going to grind. So I usually going to stop them. Sometimes I lose, even if I stop you. This can happen. But even then, you will need to grind. So, and when you you reach this grind situation, they my opponents were never there because they are playing Rito or Dryton, Adam Espeo, Dragon Link against each other, right? They are tech, they are more super popular, mm -hmm. those decks. So they're playing those type of decks against each other and they are winning, losing, winning, losing by almost always either FTK the opponent by you, whatever they do or you stop and then you kill them so the game doesn't go too long in order than to grind right so when i'm playing a deck like mm -hmm. mine that i was playing I'll just you. even sky strike before and salaman great before decks like that that i was playing in the past they work works more or less in the same way uh i'm the one that uh, my opponents never go for the grind deck specifically against this deck because the deck was not on the radar. But they, they never play this grindish place. And I'm the one who always plays those grinds because I'm the one playing this deck. So I'm not only in advantage because mm -hmm. I'm the situation that I wanted to be, which is in the grind, but I'm super used to do that because I have to be there every single game and they are not there. So that's why when many people watch the replays, from my matches in the LCS, they always go like, but, but, my, but your opponent made a mistake. He lost because he made a mistake. And then the other guy made a mistake. He should have won, he should have won, he should have won. And they didn't because they were never there. Uh, and that was expected for this type of deck. Mm -hmm. This wasn't a coincidence. That's uh, a thing that many people didn't realize in the conception of this deck. This is not a coincidence. Of course, this deck gets super popular, which I really doubt because people really dislike this type of deck for some reason. Uh, that happened, yeah. yeah, then this deck got worse because people would be more used to be playing those situations. But if it didn't happen, I think it still can be really good. And this is why this deck was a really good mm -hmm. choice for the event, in my opinion. Still, I still believe that. It's not because we won, uh, because I, I did believe that even before. So, so, for example, when I play against, like, Eldritch decks, I know that this is the kind of deck that you can't win against them in the first turn. It's, a, it's near impossible to do because of, like, the way the deck works and the way the deck is built. Because if I went against you right now, unless you, you've got 15 hand traps in there and you have a, another nine traps on top of that. So that's really tough to get around. 
like uh, on the first turn. So like, for, like, if I play like alter guys, or if I play against strikers, for example, hard to win on the very first turn. So like, if I'm playing drytrons, for example, I'm not going to commit all of my resources on the board at once. Like there are some times where I can make both vanities, ruler and uh, perfection, but I might have like maybe one or negator in my hand. I might want to go uh, like just make an ultimateness and just have like maybe three negates on it, and then next turn maybe try to bring out ruler because I want to shut off all your trap cards if I can do that. But I want to, I have to stress that you cannot try to just win games really quick against those kinds of decks because a really good player knows how to slow the game down really hard against those kinds of decks. So like, I always expect to play a long game against those kinds of decks. And I don't know if you agree with me or not that statement, but I believe that if you know you're going to go against a deck that is very slow, like you have to go with that pace yeah, but, or else you're not going to keep right? up at Because all. if you go, I understood what you said and you you, you, you understood the, the reason that you gave, but it's, even then it's hard, right? You go, you're going slowly and now I'm also going slowly, but I'm the deck that's supposed to do that, right? So you sh maybe you're not, yeah. and depend on the type of card. And this is super matchup dependent, what I'm going to say, but uh, depend on the type of the grind yeah. that we are going to start to have right now uh, is more in favor of, uh, of Elvish. What usually happen, usually happen, they have to, the, the Dryton player, for example, they, they need to commit things. They just can't pass because what happens in the Dryton perspective, let's say Dryton, right? Dryton perspective against uh, Elvish Zoo, for example, is that if they doesn't, if the Dryton doesn't try to to try to break the board and put whatever they want to do, now it's going to get worse before because this Dryton is going to become a Zoo, and the Sun Wind is going to become a Conquistador, and then I'm going to draw a hand trap from the top of my deck because this deck has a billion of them, right? So it's going to get worse. So yep. if it can't break now, next time will be worse and then worse, and then you lose eventually, right? And this is more or less what happened mm -hmm. in, in this type of deck, in this type of match. Mm -hmm. And then Christian told me something about your guys' deck uh, is that uh, your deck is, you know, it's there's not a high ceiling on it. So in order to be able to win, you have to be pretty much perfect to be able to win with this deck because, again, it doesn't have a high ceiling. So you have to be really strong in your technical play, which is what you've been saying this whole entire podcast is, uh, is like how much you've emphasized and saying how important it is to have technical play. And, and, and again, like, because this deck doesn't OTK, it's very slow, but it's supposed to like take down your opponent like turn by turn. Like that's the pace it wants to play. So like, would you agree with Christian that like you have to be like pretty much perfect to be able to play this game against uh play, sorry play yes, this deck against like all really the other well decks and i think that's why this deck is not popular because it is super time consuming to get really good with this deck because not only you have to be good with this deck you have to be good with everything else because this deck is an interaction type of deck right i have to use conquistador kero trident hand traps yeah in a specific point against specific matchups, right? In order to know exactly where I'm going to use any of them in every single matchup, I have to be really knowledgeable of everything that every single deck is doing. So I have to know how to play Virtual World, I have to know how to play Dryton, mm -hmm. and not I know more or less they're going to do. You have to know how to play Virtual World, you have to know how to play Dryton, because it's not, oh, I'm going always Ash yeah. this Lulu. I'm going always based to whatever. It's not, it's not like that. 
your spot for cards completely depends on the situation. Completely. I, I can't say you always should do this or that. It seems since the decision depends mm -hmm. so much on the situation, you you have to, to understand the situation. You have to play. That's why I say so, so many times that when I'm playing, I'm playing for both. I'm playing for me, for the opponents, because I have to put my, myself in the, the opponent's shoes while they're playing to understand why they're doing what they're doing. And then I start to realize which card they have in hand or not, by the way, they're in the order that they use their cards. So sometimes I'm playing against right and they use some card, like they go start with Delta. Then I know they don't have Alpha, but if they did, they would have used first. For example, against Virtual World, if they go use Lao Lao super early, I know they don't have another Virtual World in hand because it would be really unlikely for them to use Lao Lao this soon because if it was me, I wouldn't do that. So this is why this is super difficult because you have to learn this deck, which is difficult by itself. And then you have to learn everything else. So it's super time consuming. Me and Christian, we spent some hours, <laughs> many hours trying to, yeah. to get this better yeah yeah it, it, and it really is time consuming and it, but there's a lot of there, there's a lot of value in learning other decks as well even if you don't play them like, like for example uh yesterday i played against one of my friends who was just he's a he's a little bit more casual than me than i am so i was playing drytrons which he's never like seen before he hasn't played it against them yet and he's playing he's playing harpies but harpies that have like the the, the, the synchro that came out he runs the samorg that brings out the wind barrier statue and he can run like the wind witches that bring out a like, crystal wing synchro dragon so he like he has different floodgates that he can play with so when i told him the basic concept of the deck of how it was he understood that i i no try not to let me have the ritual uh, and also, they're like next to no normal summons. You can maybe normal summon Manju and Dawn Knight, and that's it. Those are the only two, and Cyber Angel. Uh, but at the same time, like the Wind Barrier statue can stop Cyber Angel, and then you don't want to draw the Dawn Knight. And then Manju is like the only thing that can maybe save you against that, that Wind Barrier statue. So he understood that, okay, this doesn't normal summon a whole lot, so I'm going to try to stop your normal summons as much as possible, and maybe to get a second floodgate. Like, he understood the concept of what to do, even though he never knew, like, how the deck worked or anything like that. So, it, 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 so once I told him that concept, he understood, okay, this is what I got to stop, this is what I'm going to try to prevent him from doing, and I think that he won't be able to do anything. And he did that very successfully against me last night, because he understood the concept. So I think that is kind of like the same thing here. Like, if you understand the core concepts of every single deck, you'll understand where to stop them, because, you know, you're not going to stop every single thing that comes out at them. And, and you got to let what, some effects go. really changes by the way they use their cards. So it's not that simple. I, sometimes I see some yes. oversimplification of how these games work. And, oh, okay, I guess this deck, you just stop this mm -hmm. card and you win. It's not like that. If it was this simple, like... yeah. I wouldn't be playing this. I like the the fact that it's complex because it gives me a possibility to to get better, right? And and, and have an edge against my opponents. So mm -hmm. if it was simple, I wouldn't like it. I like the fact that it's complex. So yeah. Yeah, and sometimes like you can we can make an argument, and I'm just saying this off the top of my head, but. I, I could argue that maybe stopping Zeta is more important than stopping Alpha in Drytrons because you don't want to get any access to that ritual because it limits 
a lot of plays that Drycon Drycon's going to make. Depends, if they don't right? Have that because if it's, it's they, they distribute, <laughs> that's yeah, why I say depends. Yeah. The answer to every question is always depend because because if Zeta attributes Venten, then he can yeah, get Manjuda, and Manjuda can get a ritual. So <laughs> so it yeah, really depends on the situation, which interactions you have, which card they use prior. So that's why it's super difficult. But yeah, I understand what you, your point. Like if Zeta tributes, I don't know, a Delta, and then it makes a lot of sense to, to negate because you deny the, the access to ritual yeah. somewhere, right? Yeah. But it, it's like if I had like a GD Crow in my hand and my opponent like played like Drag, let's say they like, played Drag Trot Nova uh, and then linked it off for Link Rebo, and then they tributed a Zeta from their hand to summon Alpha. Then it's like okay, and I know they've got a Zeta coming out. But it's like I'd rather like do you rather want to let them kill Zeta? I mean, again, of course they can search Manju as well. But you know, there's there's like so many situations where like you don't know what to do. But you know, there's like some like base like base stop plays here, and then I might stop them here. But uh, again, it, it, I understand what you mean by it depends because it really it really is like what your situation, what your cards. It's it's too hard to say at this yeah, point not... in time on like of what you want yeah, to do. But, not, but you can make the argument for Oh, okay. Do you ash the Nova or do you wait for the most and then you ash the actual Dryton? The answer is depends. I mean, let's say first thing, Nova, and then yeah. you have an ash. Do you ash or not? Depends. Depends on the other four cards in your hand. Mm -hmm. Sometimes you have to risk to ash because you don't have enough yeah. grind, so you have to ash right now because you have to deny the name because you're going to grind for your opponent. But sometimes your hand is really good, so it's better to, to let him waste an effect and then use ash on that effect. So the answer is actually it like it's for sure depends because it depends on the other four cards in your hand. So that's why many people go, Mio, should I ash this or not? Like, ash is a card that every time people ask me if I should ash something or not. And there is no answer to that. Uh, it, it really yeah. depends on the four cards in your hand. That's why I think things are way more complex than they they seem. Yeah, it, it really is. And when I when I go against like a dex, a player that like I'm playing for like the first time, where I don't know what they're running, I, I typically don't try to hand trap the first card because I want to see what they're playing. I want to see if there's anything else that's more vital to stop. Because if I can understand how their deck works a little bit better. Then I have a better idea of like what what when's the best time to hit them with a hand trap. But sometimes yeah. it's too again. It depends. Sometimes it's maybe that was too late at that point. Maybe you really want to hit that first card because again it varies on every single situation. Because I've had times where I played the first card. It's like if they hand trap me, I lose. Okay, please don't hand trap me. They can hand trap me later on. I don't care. Just don't hand trap me here, and, and I'm fine. And the fact that you have that, the that knowledge about the other people's deck and this comes to. And this is an it's the argument again. Like you have to know the the opponent's deck uh, to know uh, where you, if you have to use early, if you have to use later. Yeah, yeah. And, and and again, like this is like a completely like huge separate discussion that you could have on like whether you know, whether when to like throw down like a, a hand trap or not. Because there's always that question of you know if somebody opens up with pot of extravagance. Do you hit it with Ash Blossom or not? Like that's that's always the question. Like, do you or not? There's no, there's only one answer. So there's two answers: yes or no. That's that's really what you have. And again, like I think like the Yu-Gi-Oh community is very divided on that question. And and even then, I I still debate myself. I, I, okay, this one. Or not. I think usually you have to. Usually, yeah. I think more often than not, I think is yeah. It, 
it is rare situations that you don't, uh, especially if you know the matchup. For example, usually mm -hmm. sometimes, sometimes you don't because you know it's Dino, so you wait for the miscellaneous ingress. But but if you don't know the matchup, you kind of have to. Uh, but yeah, I'm just saying this on top of my mm -hmm. head. But hot cards are weird. Uh, like yeah. But you usually have to watch them. But not a rule. Nothing's a rule. Uh, but again, depends. <laughs> oh, there's always exception to every rule. So it, 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 it always gets tricky because they could be playing extravagantly. It could be a deck where they there's not a lot of extenders. It could just be a huge trap deck and you just cut them off from having two more traps. But if it's like a big combo deck, well then maybe you want to not play Ash and then Ash like uh, a combo piece that comes out later on that might be more beneficial for them. But like, of course, again, you never know because you don't know what deck they're playing or we assume that you don't because it, again, it, it goes back to what you said before. Every situation always depends on like, on, on on what situation you're in, so it, it's it's always difficult yeah. to answer just by by theorizing. And again, that goes back to what you're saying. You know, you can you can't do all like all theory. Like you have to you have to practice. And that's why and I like replace so much because in replace when people call ask me questions like this, and then I ask, <laughs> okay, you have a replay of this the situation? Yes, I do. And then we look at the replay, and I know the situation, and then I know the other cards in their hand. I don't mm -hmm. know if it's game one, game two, game three. I don't know where you are. You're going first or second. It really depends. So then when I look at the situation, uh, mm -hmm. I can have a better uh, context to, to, to answer the question that the, the, the person might have. Mm -hmm. So, well, we, so we, because you do all this like review uh, with with your own commentary or whatnot, uh, do you did you ever have any interest in doing like Yu Gi Oh commentary for for like YCSs or like other other big events? Because I like think this I, is I could kind of a do thing that, do. but I, I like competing way too much to do that to like to give up and and playing an mm -hmm. event to do that. I don't think I could do that. For example, if it was an event, I don't know some qualifier yeah. event that I wasn't qualified to play, let's say words, and that I'm not in, inside, I, I can't compete in words, yeah. then yes. But if it's something that, I don't know, a YCS mm -hmm. is, no, I know me, <laughs> and knowing me, I would rather play. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Oh. I, I'm like a, I'm like a coward or a scaredy cat sometimes when I have the choice to either like work an event or, or play an event. Like if I think that I don't like the format or if I don't have a deck or if I'm not confident, then I, I become a coward and I decide that I'm going to go judge instead. Or if, the, or if they ask me to commentate, I'll always say yes to commentating. I always will because that's it's what I love doing. Also, it's what I do in my, in my professional job. That that's what I do as well. I do that yeah. for sports. So it's, it's easy for me. So, uh, but, and that's how it is, but I love playing. Like I'm a player first and I'm a judge second, but I only judge if, uh, I, if I'm not confident or I don't have a deck or if they like really need a lot of help and they have no one else to go to. But I, I would like, I'm like you in the sense that if I have a chance to play, I will take the chance to play yeah, unless like there's like a much, weird reason for me not to. Yeah, competing is way too much. Like, I'm not the I'm not like the biggest fan of remote duels right now, but I understand why people enjoy it because and why people do it because it's really the only way we can play it right now. But uh, have you been able to play a whole lot of new people? Ever oh, since I never played remote duels. We, we did this remote <laughs> dueling. So, I never. 
So oh no, never. Yeah, okay. the Rumble or, Duo community okay. is not super. Oh no, in Brazil, okay. So that's that. And like personally, I don't like very much. Yeah. Uh, mm -hmm. The the whole remote duo point. I understand where this coming from. I'm not judging here, <laughs> but for me, I don't like very much. I feel like yeah. I will play online on the LCSs and things like that, and then wait for the events in real life to come back, and then I will play Konami events again. Yeah, I I also am not like the biggest fan of remote dueling either. Like I have a setup. It's it's okay. It's not the greatest, but it's it it works. Uh, but I, I just like being in front of another person. I like to actually interact with them. And especially when like, they're playing decks where I have to like read cards again and again. Like, I've had to read Altergeist cards like four times in the same match just, just to remember what they do. Cause I can't, and even then I can't remember what each, every single one does because I have that problem. So, and it's a lot easier doing that in real life than it is like doing it online, uh, doing it like with remote duels. At least like if I play online like dueling book, then I can at least like hover over the card and just read yeah. it as I do it. But it's, it's a little bit harder to do that in remote Like duels, this one, I find. Able to read the card and the whole, whole internet things that can happen, right? It can disconnect randomly. So, yeah. <laughs> yeah. I, I prefer playing online, like on DB, or, but I don't judge the ones who like it. I think it's fine. I think it's good for the game, even. Of, of, of course. And this, the the yeah. whole LCS that was done yeah, on was. Uh, that was done on Dueling Book, if I recall. Yeah. All right. And uh, my God, like I, I've been so impressed, like by the way that you've been able to like just knock off all these tournaments. And again, like you won like three in a row. Uh, and you won, you finally got your first, I think it was your first LCS win, so wasn't it? Because you came like second like several LCSs. times, but not first. So I started playing LCSs in October. Uh, yeah. I played October, November, December, and January. Mm -hmm. I got second, top four, top eight, top four, and now I won. Uh, so, yeah, I'm liking mm -hmm. it. I, I, I think I should have started sooner. But I think I, I, didn't, I didn't start sooner playing LCSs because... I really, really dislike Block Dragon and that Emancipator. So almost the whole year, uh, as soon as the pandemic hit, was with Block Dragon. So I didn't play. I only started playing LCS as soon as Block Dragon got banned. So, yeah. Yeah. That's good. Yeah, so so last week, last episode, we again we had your your teammates Christian and Gabriel on, and you know I, I asked them if they had a shout out for you. Uh, I don't know if you listened to the last week's podcast or not, but uh, they they I, I asked them you know, if they have a shout out for you, if they had a message for you, and they said that you know I can't make fun of Paulo because like you know he like he, he helped carry the team to like to win the championship, and uh, you know and, and they were complimenting you. They they're saying good things about you. Uh -huh. Did, did you have any thoughts at all about the the last week's podcast? Did you, watch you watch it, it, it with cool, your teammates cool. on like and it. not you? And yeah, this one, I, I this LCS, like jo joking aside, like I did really well. <laughs> I, I went, like I personally went yeah. nine one. Yeah. So, and like I said, sometimes you're the one carrying, yeah. sometimes you're the one being carried. For example, I can give you an example in the YCS in Atlanta um, that we won as a team. Yeah, it was the worst one on Swiss. All of but when we went to the top cut, <laughs> I won all my yeah. matches. So, <laughs> so I compensate being carried oh, nice. in the, nice. the slits by winning top cut. So yeah, and this is exactly how yeah. those type of events go. 
sometimes you're the one winning, sometimes you are the losing, you lose and you go, oh my God, we're going to lose and then they win and it's like such a relief <laughs> because you lost a match, but you won. It's so crazy when that happened, right? Yeah, super cool. Yeah. Yeah, so in North America, we have a saying, it's, uh, it's sometimes it's not always how you start, it's, it's how you finish. And that's exactly what you did. Like, maybe you know what the greatest yeah. is, but you, you won when it mattered the most. It's, it was every single top cut game. When and, that's, and I that's won the, the last one, one right? because it was the last was match of the tournament, uh, because my match with Jesse was the game free, the match free, right? Yeah. The last one. Yeah. Yeah, because he because I I remember that play because he was trying to go off on you, but you had like he was trying to pick apart. I think you had four back rows and a multi roll, and he couldn't get by because you had Shizuku. He like he wouldn't use his unicorn to attack yeah. Shizuku because that's just that's pluses for you, easy pluses, and you you just had so much control of the board. And then you did your turn. You didn't kill him, and then I remember you hit him with a Lancia, and then he just immediately because he was this, he ran out of resources at that point. I was talking with Michelle and Hector. And when I talked with Michelle, I said, okay, yeah. at the situation the game was, there was no way we lose, like normally. The game was won. And then I talked to him and said, okay, we just yeah. can't lose to a random thing, like time, getting game loss for slow play, things like that. So I talked to him and said, okay, if I'm taking too long, speed me up. Yeah. Uh, because it's the only way for, for us to lose. And then Hector was the one that said every minute that passes, okay, three minutes left, four minutes left, five minutes <laughs> to, to, to time. Like if it wasn't said, it wasn't necessary. We won yeah. before time was called, but he was like calling time for me to be aware of how much, because the situation was super warm at, at the time. Like I had everything and we, we made sure to not lose to a random factor, like time and losing because of damage or get like a slow play warning and that's became a game loss in a one game. So it was super fun because we, we worked as a team to not lose to a random factor. So that was cool too. <laughs> do, do you like playing 3v3s more or you just like playing I like the, the, the regular like, one? But I really like it. I feel like I want to play more to have a better yeah. opinion on this because the fact that 3v3s takes away a lot of inconsistencies in performance is really hard to have a good team and not do well. I really like this because uh, mm -hmm. I mean, sometimes you get can get unlucky in an event, right? It, it, it can happen. But having a really good team, three players getting unlucky at the same time is really hard. So it takes away a lot of the randomness that mm -hmm. card games has. So that's why top cuts are so stacked when when 3v3s happened every single 3v3 that we had was won or topped or anything by really good players so it's not a coincidence mm -hmm. in my eyes yeah and, and i agree with you on that uh and I, i'll go for my personal experience because uh, i played a one 3v3 just just for fun and like two people came up and asked to me asked me if i want to be the partner i'm like sure i i have time to i, I have time to kill so i agreed to it and then I found out that they were both one was okay. playing burn and one was playing reversal quiz, and 
yeah, so I'm like, oh my god, I'm like, what did I get myself into? And unfortunately, the reversal quiz player like lost every single match that they played. It it sucked. And like the one my I was sitting in the middle, so my the opponents across from me, they were typically the strongest ones. Then they knew how to play against those decks, so they could easily coach like their their team and say, okay, this is what they're trying to do. Don't let them do this because they like they didn't know how to play against reversal quiz. But because you had that one person who's who did know, and that it took away that randomness, and then. The, the reversal quiz guy got beat easily because he knew because like they knew the weakness of the deck they knew what to do like how not to let it happen and that's what kind of happened like but they just knew how to beat those kinds of decks that would like you know typically surprise somebody you know in a 1v1 for example so i agree with you on that that it takes away a lot of the like a lot of like the randomness and like the the inconsistencies of of the top cut and really makes it that um the better players yeah, really win like because it, it because there's a lot less I mean, luck involved uh, we are trying to win right uh, every time, even a single event, but sometimes things happen. So yeah. uh, when I feel that the situation is more in control because of those things, those, those factors for being a free victory, it, it, it makes me really happy mm -hmm. that we have, I think now we can say that we have a Yu-Gi-Oh way that is less uh, random than before. And, that, and I think Konami is going to push on this. They couldn't because, mm -hmm. like, the word pandemic and everything, <laughs> right? But the last event was a 3 3, mm -hmm. right? So, yeah. And they did a lot of 3 3s yep. in a row. Las Vegas, yeah. Uh, so they like this. I feel like they can do more with this. They can do, uh, I don't know, many things can be done with this team aspect. They can make this more of an esport. They can make countries clash against each other canada against us against germany against brazil there's so many things that can be done with this situation and also for a broadcast type of thing having mm -hmm. teams against each other is different than players against each other i think give more stories to be tell and this is the type of thing that Konami needs to to look into because this is how games are uh, share with players and people share look at this team that play. let's say for example we play against jesse team finals right and that was a really good match imagine if that was a stream yep. right uh and then there is another for three three months later and then let's say we play against each other again our team right uh, and then this is a story to tell this is going most likely be on stream and they're going to talk about the last time that I won and now it's going to be the revenge. This creates stories that's really important, not only for a card game, but competitions in general. Every single sport has something like this, some statistics that can be, I mean, many things can be done. And I think if they really uh, see that this is a thing that they could do more often, many things can, many things can come from Yu-Gi-Oh! Mm -hmm. And that, that's what I do too when I when I do commentating for sports. I, I always try to look at the teams and see if there is any kind of story or any history behind them. Like, like for example, like they, like if we go look at football, for example, like there could be like a rivalry between like uh, Brazil and Italy, for example. Like there, there could be like a big soccer rivalry right there, for example. And like we could, you know, make a, make a story about it, you know, which makes the game more interesting. Is like maybe they met like the they, the finals of the World Cup and like maybe like Brazil beat Italy, you know, something like that, which kind of makes the game more interesting. Because, yeah. you know, some people like uh, people like stories as part of the uh, as part of like their their sport. They like to see that that kind of thing happen. And I, I always try to like 
create a story or put something to make the game a little bit more interesting than like just looking at just two two people that are just playing uh, on on uh, on the dueling table. Like for example, if like you and I went together, it's like oh yeah, these two are like they're they're good friends, but they also like they were on a they were on my podcast together, and then we played each other. You coached me, and now that we got to play each other in this in, like the finals of this event, it's it's just a fun story to to make up. It it creates more drama, which is something that. Uh, you know, maybe Konami could use a little more of because, like, yeah, again, like it's I those those kind of things that make the game Which a little is, bit more I, interesting. I hope that they're going into something like this in the future. Maybe they are. Yeah. Maybe they're thinking about this. We don't know, right? Maybe, yeah, because because that's what I try to do. It's just it's all it's always fun to to add a little bit of like interesting flavor to it, a little bit a little bit extra to get people like uh, more interested. Like, why? Okay, why do I want to watch these two people? Is like like I know them already. Like, so what? Like why why like give me a reason why to watch them? That's what you that's the question you have to ask yourself if you want people to like look at your products. Like okay, why why do I want to watch this? It's like why do I want to listen to this podcast right now? For example, that's the question I always have to answer every single week to to everyone out there. It's like why do, why should I listen to your podcast? It, it's kind of like that, for example. And like and for you, it's like why do I want to look at your commentary? What what, what makes you so special that you can give the commentary? And it's because you are like again a three time champion. You have like over twenty like premier tops, so like you have a lot of experience on top of that as well. And and, and that's that's a big deal for a lot of people, and and that would make that would make you a good reason why you're a dualist academy coach. You're you have the credentials for it, so it makes sense that you're in that position. So it's kind of like asking those questions, uh, you know, to just to generate interest. Yeah, let's and, hope and, that and they are. I, I think that's this a really valid too, point. If they if they are, this, things are going to get better eventually. <laughs> yeah. And then one one other thing on top of this too is that like again when you said uh, you know when they do more three v threes, you could you really could uh, make a world championship on three v threes. Like I said, like we already have one for one v one. Like there's a possibility we could do it for like three v three tournaments. And then again, like you have like t- team like North America, or if they want to divide us up again and make a team Canada, team USA, then you could have like team Brazil, team Japan, team like you know things like that. You can make a whole nother event on top of that as well. To, to garner interest in the game because maybe there are some people who are more interested in playing 3v3s than playing 1v1s and maybe you just have people just like playing 1v1s but at least you have yeah. you know uh, something for everyone at least step, in that case but trying to make some type of country event like let, even US they, you can do in US like state events and have teams for each state and do something internally first and then if that works they go globally mm-hmm. I don't know there's so many things that can, can be done that yeah <laughs> there's so so much potential that is not used that <laughs> i just hope that they they do something like this in the future because this is so much better for for advertising the game and the game growth yeah and there's a lot of people that that want like different formats of the game for example because uh, like like for Duel Links like that came out and that has its own uh, popular following like I know several people who play Duel Links but don't play like the actual card game I know like casual people that don't even that never touched Yu-Gi-Oh cards ever but they'll play Duel Links for example so you can attract like a, a completely different crowd and then if you want to put 3v3s in you can again you can attract uh, another crowd maybe attract uh, people that aren't quite as good at the game but if they get that 
that coaching that they can get in the middle of the game, they might they can be like a little bit better. Right? Like I'm sure that if I put like two guys from my local and I paired them with you, they would play a lot better than if they were playing like on their own a one v one tournament. And I think that would help like carry a lot of players that are like maybe struggling a little bit or just need a little push in like yeah, the right a, direction to become like a really good like player. Said, so case. many possibilities that can they can be worked with this whole three v three possibility uh, scenario right the situation yep yeah uh, absolutely and uh, you know let's let, let's see if you Yu-Gi-Oh and konami is going to you know run with this idea because i i would be very interested if they did like a 3v3 like world championships or a wcq you know and and not there so much like thing, those events right? go by yeah, like, i would think they would go by faster because there's there's less rounds yeah there's less rounds to do and then not to mention you can stop some matches in the middle of it because if two players on one team already wins yes, also, you you don't need to play the other I one it's, like it's, it's over that, at that point uh, many decisions of Konami are weird about how the tournaments are run and the main goal of a tournament of Yu-Gi-Oh tournament is to end yeah. the, the the goal of a tournament is to yeah. end as fast as possible It, it, it is. I mean, what? I mean, maybe we think that that's the reason why we have like the new time rule where it ends in the phase because that that speeds up the tournaments a lot as it opposed to five that, turns. Right? So yeah, uh, think, again, like the three v three could be just another way to help uh, make the tournament go faster. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So maybe the three v threes make it go faster. Oh no! Oh, yeah, I've had awesome. long discussions about that. Very long discussions. Oh, so who who knows? Like maybe they'll make a. Uh, 3v3 world championships uh, separate from 1v1s and that would be a very interesting format to watch in itself. I would be very interested in that because I kind of like the I like the team concept. I like uh I like to see the coaches, you know, kind of help each other out, teammates helping each other out because, you know, sometimes like you can have like a like five seconds where you just forget anything that happens and you just need a little push to help get yourself back into it and that's where your teammates come in and they help out. Like I love watching team sports in in like on TV, and this is kind of like this, uh, pretty close to the same thing. You know, I like that team aspect that helps up because I want to see the best Yu-Gi-Oh played when I go watch these streams. I want to see like the best players play like the best decks. I want to say like who is the best. That that's what I want to see, and like the three V Thieves, I I think will make it a lot better for that. As you pointed out, it takes away a lot of the luck and a lot of the the uncertainty yeah, uh, of it, and it really is like, like the a, best players December, that win. Right? Like boards in August and they go January or December. They usually dead months for Yu-Gi-Oh competitive scene. Sometimes they have one YCS in Australia in January, yep. but not in the other countries, right? So maybe that could be uh, a month that this could happen. Mm -hmm. I don't know. Just thinking about ideas out loud. Yeah, and it's an idea. And again, it's it allows more people to go to Worlds because I'm sure that uh, there ha there's been so many players that want to go to the World Championships but never have a chance to because they just they just yeah. miss out or they 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 just haven't found the format or whatever. But either way, this could be this is definitely be something, and I think this is a good idea for moving forward if uh, Konami yeah, decides to like really run with like three v three World Championships. So, Paulo, it, it has been a pleasure to have you on. Uh, thank you again for, for coming on finally. I'm, I'm glad that you're doing well with Duel Links Academy. And, and again, I was very happy to hear that you won the 3v3. So congratulations 
again for winning that event. And, uh, you know, I, I hope to see you uh, more and more as we go along because uh, I really appreciated uh, what you've been doing on your YouTube channel with all that because watching that kind of stuff, like, really helps my game because like, I'm, like, I'm that player that I can top regionals, but not all the time. And I've only topped one YCS ever in my life. So I'm at that point where, like, I'm good, but there's definitely a lot of room for me to get better. And I think you're helping me out a little bit more, like, every time I watch. So I, I'm glad that, uh, you know, you were able to talk to me. And, you know, hopefully this will help me get better for down Thank the road when I me you know, go back to being uh, able to like, like I said before, to you, I always heard all, in the, all the podcasts. I usually do. Heard all. And I'm really happy to be here. And yeah. The, the channel is to to help people to improve. So if he's doing he's doing his job, so yeah, that's it. Really happy yeah. to be here. Yeah, and that's that's what I want to do. It's it's to help everybody. It's to get everybody to learn a little bit more. And this is supposed to help in ways that people never thought that they they would be helped before. Because I've learned so many different like strategies and philosophies now, having to talk to every single person that I, I've had on this podcast. So I've definitely learned a lot now. So let's just hope I can finally put yeah, this all in have. practice finally and see if I've really learned from my own podcast doing this. Uh, so, <laughs> so we'll see. Um, did you, did you want to say to hi to anybody or any shout outs uh, right? before we go? Uh, Christian and Gabe. Also shout out to another test partner, mm -hmm. part, testing partner that I have, which is Guilherme Play from Brazil. Uh, we, I test a lot with him. Uh, my team jobber, I'm team jobber. I never play an uh, actual event for a team jobber because I am here and yeah, COVID, ha COVID happened, but so, and also shout out to Delish Academy. Yeah, cool. We have a lot of content there, not only the coach sessions, but they have the Discord channel. We have the, the, the post on the Patreon that has videos and articles. So it's really cool. I feel like, not because I'm there, but I feel it's, uh, you can really improve by, by doing that. Not not only the code sessions, but everything else that they have, that we have. And then don't forget to uh, check out uh, Paulo's channel at PRJ Yu-Gi-Oh! on YouTube. Almost at 8,000 subscribers. I am one of them. Get on it and get on his channel. The link will be below in the description. Paulo Gonzalez, thank you so much again for taking the time out to uh, be on my podcast. It was a pleasure having you on, and uh, it was good to talk to you finally. Thank you. And congratulations again on your uh, LCS uh, 3v3 you win. Too, man.